Musical chairs. That's the nothing personal word of the day. It is Monday, December 4th, 2023. Musical chairs, the great kids game where you play music and somebody is left when the music stops with nowhere to sit. They bow their head down and they leave the game. The Florida State University football team is not going to play for the national championship. And the world stops spinning on its axis. People from alums to commentators to athletic directors to presidents to the Florida frickin' legislature had an opinion of how FSU got completely screwed. And you know from nothing personal, I like college football, sort of. Watch it, I'll watch the bowl games. Don't really pay attention or watch, I should say, during the course of the season. I was interested this year because CBS, as you know, my relationship with CBS Sports HQ and CBS Sports, I was very aware that the SEC was finishing its broadcast deal, its 25-year deal with CBS and moving to ESPN next season. And the SEC is a very big deal at CBS. It was a big relationship, very large amount of money changing hands. And the SEC let it expire and then went with ESPN. And ESPN also shows the CFP, which this year is the Rose Bowl, the Sugar Bowl. So I'm thinking to myself during the Saturday games, which interested me with the conference championships, and I'm seeing Alabama and Georgia. Georgia was favored to win the SEC. The SEC is one of the Power Five conferences, but it is the top of the Power Five conferences. It is a huge, huge, huge billion dollar business. And I'm watching Alabama win and I'm looking on Twitter and I'm speaking to Coca and I'm speaking to some people I was with this weekend, one of whom is a FSU alum. And it's occurring to me that if Alabama ends up winning, the selection committee will have a problem. And the problem it will have is you've got to put an SEC team into the Final Four. If Georgia loses, Alabama has a better case for being in the Final Four. Then you had Texas crushing Oklahoma State. They've definitely got a case. Michigan, for sure, assuming they're not suspended or made bowl ineligible. And so FSU, even though it's undefeated, even though it is in a power five conference, they're likely not going to be in it. So I was just thinking about the committee process, the selection process from a business standpoint, and I did not see coming what happened, which is the absolute visceral anger that people had. I believe even Vegas had the four teams being selected as the four teams, which were selected as the favorites to be selected. What I didn't have on the bingo card was the selection committee having a guy in charge. And it's one of these committees that you have never heard of anyone who's on it. And they sit in a room and you only know about them because they do the rankings every week. And there are shows on CBS and there's ESPN and it's covered on all the talk shows. 
ranked number two this week with 2,900 points, three points behind number one, yada, yada, whatever the case is. Everyone gets super excited. As a matter of fact, the minute the bowl games are done, there will be a top 25 ranking for next year. It's so ridiculous. It's like after the draft that all of a sudden we are pumping and promoting next year's draft of amateur players. But just know that during the course of a season, all of these selections are being made each week. So the final rankings pre these bowls, pre the national championship, had Michigan at one, Alabama at four, then you had Washington, Texas, two, three, and or Texas, Washington, two, three, whatever it was, Coke, it doesn't matter to me. And then five was FSU. And so I naturally assumed that the committee just chose exactly the way they should choose. It made perfect sense to me. And then the head of the committee gave an interview. And this is when everything went haywire. And this goes back to what I love to think about, which is what's in somebody's head when they're interviewed, when they're answering a question, did he think, and the guy's name is, give it to me, is it Boo, Boo somebody, Boo Corgan? Where was that, Coke? It was somewhere right that we talked about pre-show. Boo Corrigan, thank you. One C on the piece of paper in front of me. Did Boo Corrigan not expect that the question would come, hey, how did you make this decision? That seems to me the only question you have to prepare for. And his answer was that Florida State is a different team than it was the first 11 weeks and even mentioned a player's name. As you look at who they are as a team right now, without Jordan Travis, without the offensive dynamic he brings, they're a different team, and the committee voted Alabama for Florida State five. Jordan Travis is the starting quarterback who got hurt for FSU. FSU continued to play the games because in team sports, when someone gets hurt, you still continue to play games. It's not like when you're hurt as a golfer or tennis player, you can't play. That's it. You're out of the draw. When an individual player gets hurt on a team, the show goes on. Even that very game. There are scenarios where a game stops with a horrific, terrible injury, where life is at stake, but a knee, an elbow, a shoulder, even a concussion. See you later, next man. So Florida State continues to play. They continue, they beat Louisville, they go undefeated, and they assume, because in 25 years of the CFP selection, no undefeated winner of a Power Five conference has not been in the top four. FSU's assumption was that they would be. I'm going to get to what the AD said and what the coach said, but I want to go back to Boot Corrigan. Do you think they sat in that room during the committee and they said, our responsibility is for our network partner. Our responsibility is for our future network partner. Our responsibility is competitive games and the best games possible. That's exactly what they did. And what's wrong with doing that? because it violates the rules according to FSU of how teams are supposed to be selected? Absolutely not. 
It is a hundred percent part of what a selection committee does. They, you think when people are doing brackets in a tennis tournament, they're not paying attention to what the possible, if not probable semifinal matches would be and final match would be. Do you think when schedules are made that individual leagues are not looking at what time of the week certain games are, what days of the week certain games are? As many Yankee Red Sox weekend series as possible. As a matter of fact, in Major League Baseball, there is a full document when you get your schedule of your weekend opponents, of your holiday opponents. So everything the selection committee did made perfect sense until they explained it. You cannot blame Florida State not being in the top four by their absence of their quarterback. You can't explain them not being in the CFP by the fact that they'd be double-digit dogs, and that would have a deleterious impact on the process itself, on the games itself. And to wit, Florida State's a 13-point underdog to Georgia in the Orange Bowl. You can absolutely have an SEC team in there because the committee believes it's in the best interest of the sport as a whole to have an SEC team in the Final Four. And it's absolutely okay to say. Do you think anybody in the business of college football or as a fan, other than those who are fans of FSU, don't understand the power of the SEC or understand how it is a absolute certainty that an SEC team is going to be in the Final Four? Georgia beats Alabama in the SEC championship game. There's, we're not talking about anything. Georgia's in, Alabama's out, and we move on. Alabama wins the game. They're the SEC championship. Do you think that they're going to do something that possibly, possibly makes winning the SEC championship something less important? But then the argument is next year, it's a 12-team playoff. So does it really matter who wins the SEC championship? No, but it's a 12-team playoff where you've got a tournament where every game, one versus 12, I don't know how they're going to do it, two versus 11, whatever they do, every game is going to be important because a 12 seed could be the national champion. And the same people complaining about FSU not being in the final four, if the 12th ranked team wins it all next year, the top four teams are going to be pissed and they're going to say, this is outrageous. This is why we don't like the system. We should reward the top and that's it. It's the same people in basketball who complain when the one seed loses or the same people in baseball who complain when division winners lose in the first round and they've won 100 games and it goes away within four days. As someone who's the steward of a game, or running a business, the outside noise, all the Twitter videos who are recorded by all the FSU alums, all the people complaining, it doesn't mean a thing. But it certainly could have been avoided with a far more honest comment. And the result, a far more honest comment by Book Oregon and the selection committee, the result has been some amazing emails and statements and I just want to touch on a couple of points that were made by people. Coach Mike Norville of FSU led with, I'm disgusted and infuriated. That's good. It's good, good adjectives. I like the start. 
everyone's point is we earned it on the field because we're undefeated. I was trying to think of the team before the show started with Coca. It was Central Florida, UCF. They were undefeated. No one was upset when they weren't in the top four. Oh, they had a terrible schedule. Never would have been in the top four. The ACC commissioner got involved. FSU's exclusion calls into question the selection process and whether the committee's own guidelines were followed. And everyone said, ooh, this could be the beginning of a lawsuit. No, there will not be a lawsuit. There will not be legislation in the Florida legislature that could ever pass. It's all eyewash. It's all posturing. The athletic director, the ACC commissioner, the coach, they all had to do statements because they all had to show their constituencies, which is not the selection committee. It's the people who are FSU boosters, donors, students, alums, et cetera. You have to show the outrage. Famous alums who are in the media have to go on Twitter to say this is an absolute miscarriage of justice. The athletic director of FSU talked about that this is not just about the consequences. This is about the future. This is ruining college football because winning doesn't matter. What we are showing these kids and student athletes, now they're kids, of course, when they're trying to get paid, they're adults, employees, members of a potential union. When something adverse happens and there's adversity, they're kids, they're wounded birds. It's very convenient to label people according to what your narrative is. You do that in conversation. We all do that. You're all trying to bolster your own view of something. So when you're trying to say how bad this is, you focus on the people on the field, how sad it is for these students, these children who don't get a chance, the lessons that we're giving people, which is winning doesn't matter. It's all a little bit overblown. All could have been avoided. But we've got two games that are good. By the way, Coco, who was 2-3? Texas is favored by four over Washington. So does that mean Texas was two and Washington was three? Because Michigan is two, two points over Alabama. They're going to be great games and you're all going to watch. So that's what's going on in the world of college football, in the world of sports. Everyone's up in arms. You're going to see this in all the shows today, all the podcasts. There'll be special podcasts. There'll be special reports on SportsCenter. You're going to see videos and more things cut by people. People are going to wake up today. Hot takes. It'll be all over ESPN. Everyone trying to figure out whether or not they've been personally offended by this process. Watch for it. It'll be funny. It's just business. Speaking of business, MLB is doing a lot of business this week. The winter meetings have officially kicked off and we are pleased to present the first big trade of the winter meetings. The Seattle Mariners traded the guy who we talked about only, was it a week ago? Do you remember the Brewers player? And they just announced the Brewers player who had never played a game in the major leagues. He hasn't even been much above double A. And the Brewers gave him like 80 million guaranteed with a chance to win 160 million. And we went over all the players who got deals before they'd ever played a game in the big leagues. And one of them was Evan White of the Mariners. And we told you that it was a horrible signing because he really wasn't good. 
Evan White was traded to the Braves, along with Marco Gonzalez, an overpaid pitcher for the Mariners, traded to the Braves, along with Jared Kelenic, traded to the Braves for two good arms. It's not a big deal, except it made me so happy that I'm here with you every day and not in Nashville running a team anymore. Granted, it was 18 great years. But one of the things among many that was not fun was when you make a trade that you know is a good trade and you get absolutely PR whipped, fire sale, Mariners dumping payroll. The people who report that, the MLB insiders, they don't know shit about shit. And I've had it. Everyone's saying, that's it, Mariners, what are they doing? They better be lining up for a big bath. They better be clearing payroll in order to sign somebody right now. They must have another trade in mind. They must have another signing. Let's crucify Jerry DePoto. And I have been very critical of the Mariners before. I'm absolutely tired of it. These people who get a microphone who assume they know what they're doing, they've never run one thing. They've never done one thing. When you have a chance to find a team who will take on your money that is bad money, and you are not one of the top payroll teams, which is your lot in life, it is the way it is, you make the trade. The fact that the Mariners were able to get the Braves to take on the money they took on is mana from heaven that every single team would do. It is the best trade you will see this winter meetings, what the Seattle Mariners did. And the Braves, using their financial might, using their profits, which they get, mostly derived from ancillary development, and it is pretty great around Truist Park. That's a baseball trade that makes sense within the environment of Major League Baseball. But no, no, it's a fire sale by the Mariners. What a bunch of idiots. No, the people saying that are the bunch. It's not even the biggest story. I don't even know if that is going to be press room worthy. The biggest story, of course, is Shohei Otani. And I loved one of your questions on this subject. You know what I want? <laughs> I want to talk to Samson. So you want to talk to Samson. I wore my half-baked socks uh, this weekend when I was in Boston going to that Celtics game on Friday night, which was super fun, might I add. We'll talk to that. We'll talk about that when we get to the Nothing Personal Pick of the Day. But So You Want to Talk to Samson is from the movie Half-Baked. For those of you new to Nothing Personal, and thank you for sending all the pictures of your Spotify wrapped and no matter the conspiracy of who counts minutes how and how they do it, it's still fun to see all of you who are spending all of your thousands of minutes with me Thank you. This is from the movie Half-Baked for those of you who are new to the show. There's a character named Samson. People want to talk to him. Get on my X at David P. Samson or go to davidsampsonpodcast.com. Keep, by the way, Coca, the horse hockey merchandise is selling like crazy, and I am humbled by that. Thank you 
for wearing it, buying it, the nothing personal diamond logo stuff. I am touched. We have great holiday promotion going on. Get 20% off on davidsampsonpodcast.com or 30% off. Just spend over a hundred bucks. Not bad. Happy holidays. It's almost Hanukkah. So ask me a question and it may make the air at David P. Sampson or at davidsampsonpodcast.com. You can also submit questions. Hey, David. I love questions like that. Hello. Good to see you. It was released that Otani is expecting to sign within the week. What does this really mean? Is it a leverage pl ploy or has he already decided and is waiting for a good news opportunity? Thank you for asking that question because you're getting right down to the bottom of what these winter meetings are and what free agents do with their agents. When you are trying to sign a free agent player, whether it is Shohei Otani or whether you're signing a guy to a two-year $24 million deal, sometimes even a one-year $8 million deal, the way it works at the end, and this doesn't matter, Otani at half a billion versus a guy at three million, it's the same thing. Before a deal is done, there's an agreement, a verbal agreement, not signed. Hey, we would do that. We would do $500 million. Here's the terms we would do. Then the player shops that deal to every other team, including mostly the finalists, meaning the teams who are still interested. And we're reading Mets are out. Focus is on other teams for Otani. Nobody's out until the deal's done. If Shohei Otani wants to be a Met, the agent calls the Mets and says, here's what it's going to take. And then once they have a deal, not written, but agreed to with another team, guess what? They call again. We are about to sign. We need you to go to blank. Now, of course, people could say Shohei Otani is different. Shohei Otani doesn't care about the money. What's the difference between 520 million and 510 million? A, there's a $10 million difference, but B, the other provisions of the guarantee language are very critical in a deal. The bonuses, the incentives, the length of the deal, the way it's paid, the deferral, the interest rate, the discount rate, the taxes of the different cities, looking at the schedule of a team that you sign with, because that is how your own personal taxes are counted. With the balance schedule, it's now a bit easier. However, when you are playing in New York, whether it's the AL East or the NL East or in California, the way Shiotani has been in the AL West, or you go to the NL West and he wants to join the Dodgers, it's the same tax bracket, whether you're playing in Anaheim or in Los Angeles. All of these things come into play and you always give people a last look. If Shohei Otani had decided what team he wanted to play for, and he had a deal and he did not care what the best deal was, he cared location only, then he would have signed already because what you do is you go to the agent, the agent goes to the team and says, hey, my guy wants to be here, but he's not gonna take a discount. Here's the other deals we have. You match it. You've got them. 
give them the physical, let's get the selling process going. The selling process is when you're selling season tickets, you're selling corporate sponsorships, you are getting a player, whether you are keeping the player or whether it's a new player, you're getting him involved, you're getting the headshots, you're getting the press planned, all of that goes on. Is it possible that Otani is going to sign this week? I have a wait to see that says no, that it's going to be after the new year, but all of the smoke is saying that he's signing within the winter meetings. And I told you that one of the reasons to sign during the winter meetings is the great publicity it would be for Major League Baseball. Now, for those of you thinking that they would announce it on a Sunday, MLB used to think that way. I used to love that. Take away from the NFL week 12. You don't want to fight with the NFL. You don't want to fight with the selection process yesterday. A trade with the Mariners can be announced, no problem. But a signing like Otani, that is going to be its own news cycle. The old competitive Bud Selig, and in some ways Rob Manfred, would have wanted to coordinate and calculate when a player like Otani signs in order to crush the NFL. Now they leave the NFL and have acknowledged what the NFL is, and they would prefer it to be announced when it can be on its own. The leverage ploy that a player has that you're asking about, it's not a leverage ploy as much as it is a leverage road. The leverage road is the road that a player takes when they're negotiating with several teams. It's the way you sell a team when you've got multiple buyers. It's the way you sell your car on Craigslist if you have multiple buyers. You are looking to see what the best price is and whether or not there are other factors that would lead you to choose not the best price. But that doesn't take weeks. It doesn't take visiting the school system. It doesn't take interviewing the front office or ranking the farm system the way Manny Machado said he did before signing with the Padres, that he wanted to make sure they had a good farm system. Give me a break. None of that is happening. The leverage ploy is not leaking out that a deal could happen within a week. The leverage ploy is happening behind the scenes when you're calling the other team's GM to say, hey, we have a deal. We've got two deals. We've got three deals. Do you want to be the fourth, the third, the second? You have till blank. You have till blank. That's when you're negotiating with people before a trade deadline. That's when you have a window to negotiate when there's a trade during a season. What does it mean for any team to say to Otani, you have till blank? What does it mean for Otani to say to a team, you have till blank? There's no blank. It's early December. Spring training doesn't happen until February. We've seen tons of late signs before. Is it that Otani wants to start getting comfortable with his new team? Believe me, he'll be comfortable with his new team. So my answer is there's no leverage going on. He has not decided where he wants to be publicly. Has he decided where he wants to be privately? Well, that's another way to see I have that he's staying with the Angels, although I'm the only one saying that. So the rumors you're gonna read every day Every five minutes, different people in the media saying, oh, there's multiple $500 million offers. Now it's going to 600. I wonder who would want that out there.
Remember when A-Rod first signed with Texas for 265? Multiple offers. There wasn't even one. Total overpay by Hicks and the Texas Rangers. That is all that that is when you see writers. We know inside baseball, inside the suite, as presidents, as GMs, we know exactly which writers are stumping for who. We know exactly which writers we're giving our information from. Yes, we're out on Otani. We want to get our fan base off Otani. We don't do it because we want other teams to think we're out of it. Not with a player like Otani. So just make sure you watch over the next few days, trades, announcements. But man, oh man, you are going to hear some things. <laughs> like the Soto, I like that. Yankees and Padres at a stalemate. How many times during trade discussions you say to the other team, listen, forget it. There's nothing more to talk about. And then you talk in an hour, in a day. You don't ever say to a team, that's it. We're not discussing this anymore. Screw you. It's ridiculous. The Padres and Yankees are at a stalemate. That's because the Yankees don't agree. So the rumors are there's seven players for one or eight players for two or 25 players the Padres are demanding and take Soto, but also take some of our bad contracts right now. One of the things that is not analytically driven, it's very PR driven. GMs don't like doing a six for one trade or a seven for one trade, just from an optics standpoint. We talked to you about the Soto trade originally from the Nationals, where it ended up being Soto and Bell for those players. You do think about things and you ask for eyewash. We did that in the Cabrera trade, by the way, when we just wanted extra players added in to the two top prospects we got who didn't end up being great. But the point is, when you do trades, you are often asking not to be embarrassed in terms of bulk. And teams are willing to throw in extra players or keep extra players. So the Padres may be saying, hey, we have to prove, we have to show our owner that we got six for one. We'll take two good ones, Brian Cashman, and then four non-prospects, but we got to make it six to one. Where Cashman could be saying back to Preller, hey, we can't be seen as doing a six for one on a one-year rental. We can do six for two. We'd rather do four for one. We're happy to do that, but this is a one-year deal. If you give us a window and we get an extension prior to the trade, of course, we'll do eight for one. So that's how that works. A lot of disappointed fan bases. That's what's happening now. That's coming next because all of you are so riled up. People in north of the border in Toronto, we're getting Otani, we're getting Soto. And then what the media does is they do these lineups just to really get the fans going, which really pissed me off. You struck my first nerve today with these winter meetings, Coca. The projected lineup and they shove in free agents. So when you don't have that lineup, the fans are like, my God, you're a terrible executive. How did you not get Otani and Soto? We call the PR guy into the suite and say, listen, get downstairs and tell these writers we are not getting both. Stop with the projected lineup. Don't have it come from us, but just make it known. Unreasonable expectations are brutal at the winter meetings, and that is the currency that everyone trades on. Whew. Okay, let's take a break. I need to review what is now one of the top two movies I've seen this year. And then we're going to talk about that Niners-Eagles game 
and uh, the fight that happened involving a very popular head of security. We'll be right back. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SAMSON. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SAMSON. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino Resort in Kansas. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Quentin, Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. It's David Sampson coming at you live every day, 8 a.m. on the Nothing Personal with David Sampson YouTube channel. Please hit subscribe. Tell your friends about the show. We have fun for 45 minutes. Sometimes it gets off the rails because this is just me talking to you with Matt Coca. Thank you, Coca. Hope you had a good weekend. I watched a movie. I had two four-hour train rides this weekend up to Boston and back. Watched quite a few movies. I want to talk about the first one called The Holdovers. The Holdovers is a movie by Alexander Payne, directed by Alexander Payne, The Descendants, Sideways. Paul Giamatti, who was also in Sideways. Paul Giamatti, the son of the late commissioner, Bart Giamatti. Paul Giamatti, a first-class actor from the early days when he played the guy with the blue face to duets, one of my faves with Gwyneth Paltrow and Huey Lewis. Billions, you, you know Paul Giamatti. This is a story about an old time professor who's forced at a boarding school with a bunch of entitled kids to watch them over Christmas break because their families don't want them. Best picture, best director, maybe best screenplay, best actor for Giamatti. There's a newcomer, Dominic Sessa, who plays one of the seniors in high school. He's never done anything that I'd seen. Spectacular, moving, meaningful. And then the favorite to win a Best Supporting Actress in Divine Joy Randolph. You may remember her from The Idol. <laughs> she's been in some other great stuff too. I think she's won a Tony. The Holdovers, for those of you who are unwilling, absolutely unwilling, to think about watching a movie about kids who are privileged, like a dead poet society type of movie at a boarding school like that, you're missing out on one of the most nuanced, important movies I've seen this year. Forget the A-plus performances. How about the reality of what it is to not have the only thing that we actually all want, and that is approval by our parents. Paul Giamatti's performance is subtle, it's important, and I encourage you to watch it. So I was watching football yesterday. I was watching the Niners-Eagles game. It was the 425 game, Eastern time. 
NFC Championship from last year. They're playing it again. We had the Niners in a parlay with the Panthers. That would have, was a plus 360 that we could have won if the Panthers had won. The Niners beat the Eagles, crushed the Eagles. The story is not that the Niners are the best team in football. The story is not about Purdy. It's not about McCaffrey. It's not about the coaching of Shanahan. The story is about a fight that broke out involving a player and a non-player. That's what it comes down to. You're going to read and you heard it's all about Dom DeSandro, the great head of security, the icon of Philadelphia. He's on the sidelines like the guy who was security for Messi, who became famous. He's always there, always protective of the coach, Sirianni. Big part of the Philadelphia sports scene since 1999. Very charitable, just an incredible guy. I don't care. A non-uniform person cannot get involved in a tiff, a brouhaha, or an altercation with a uniform player during a game. Anytime, really, but during a game, never. Hard stop. It was a game that had some friskiness to it. But then there was a play where Greenlaw, the fantastic defender, and his first name is Dre Greenlaw and Dom DeSandro. Greenlaw has a personal foul. He tackles someone out of bounds, gets out of bounds. And then all of a sudden, there's a big guy who's putting his hands on Greenlaw. Greenlaw then responds by swiping away at Dom DeSandro and makes contact with his face. New York reviews it, kicks out Greenlaw, kicks him out of the game, and then kicked out Dom from the sideline. Why? It's a very simple rule. If you're on the sideline of an NFL game, if you're on the bench of an NBA game, if you're a non-uniform player, can you imagine me jumping onto the field in the middle of a bench-clearing brawl and trying to separate or get involved or push a player from another team? immediate suspension, even as team president. It's a very simple rule. No uni, no involvement. I don't care who you are. The person at fault for what happened in the Niners-Eagles game is not Greenlaw. It is straight on Dom DeSandro. And for people who are in Philadelphia who are angry and bothered by that fact, I'd like you to at least think about one of your players going to the other sideline in a game and being physically touched or impacted by one of the non-players of your opponent. Villain number one is what that person would be to you. What's good for the goose has to be good for the gander, and the NFL has a tiny problem. The tiny problem is that everyone is team dumb. And the NFL cannot be team Dom. The NFL has to come down hard on Dom, and they will. They have got to make it very clear that you violate the rules that we have in place, and the rules are very simple. You cannot engage in a physical altercation of any kind with a player, period. There is no room for interpretation. There is no CFP selection committee. There is no opportunity to do anything other than take him off the sideline, bar him from the sideline. You know the story of that photographer who did the selfie with Tyreek Hill and then Tyreek Hill did a flip and then Hill, who could be the MVP of the season, 
pays for the guy's salary because the guy's upset and he's using it for social media, whatever. They did that, took away a season-long credential for, for on-field photographer for just doing something as benign and innocuous as engaging with a player with a cell phone when there's something physical. But then Roger Goodell has to ponder, what do I do about a player going full malice at the palace? That's not good, Coca. 4869. What does Roger Goodell do about a player who physically engages with a non-player? It doesn't rise to the level of malice of the palace where they went into the stands to start beating up non-uniform personnel and general fans. This was a team member of the team traveling party, member of the team personnel. But you, if you're Roger Goodell, you've got to also suspend Greenlaw. And the reason why you have to suspend Greenlaw is that you've got to stop these from happening, period. I'd like there to be suspensions for the out-of-bound hits. The 15-yard personal fouls to me are not sufficient. You can have an argument and a discussion the way people are right now with the Packers game. Was Mahomes, was it a personal foul? Was he out-of-bounds? Was he not out-of-bounds? Was he in play, not in play? We are trying to protect in the NFL as best as possible your superstars getting hurt, and any notion that the violence in between the lines could ever extend outside the lines. So as a result, Greenlaw and Dom have a problem. Wait to see is when I tell you something's going to happen. If it happens, great. If it doesn't happen, fine. We have a bunch of wait to sees to revisit, which we will. We are adding a wait to see today. Dre Greenlaw will be suspended by the NFL and Dom will be not allowed to be on the sidelines, both of them for a period of time. Dom should not be allowed on the sidelines for longer than Greenlaw is not allowed to play. But the way to see is both of them will be punished because the NFL cannot permit this to happen. Nothing personal pick of the day. We had a 1-1-1 one, one, one weekend. I want to talk about Friday night Celtics game. I went to the TD Garden. I had not been to the TD Garden before. It is a fabulous arena. Nothing like the old Boston Garden. The number of Jason Tatum jerseys was staggering. It wasn't even close. Jalen Brown and his 300 million, not even close. Perzingis, nothing. Drew Holiday, nothing. A few somewhere. It was Tatum, Tatum, Tatum. No double zero for the Chief. No 32 for McHale, no 33 for Bird. It is all about Tatum. And Jason Tatum got ejected from the game in what was ruled a flagrant foul at the time and then reversed by the NBA the next day, which really bothers me because people came there to see Tatum and he was ejected in the third quarter. We had the Celtics minus six over the Sixers. And Embiid then wasn't playing, nor Maxi, and the line moved to 12. I thought it was a sure thing, a full Daphne Zuniga. Instead, I needed Tobias Harris to miss two free throws that were meaningless at the end of the game. And that guy right in front of me, it was right where I was sitting, missed two free throws, which are ridiculous that the Celtics fouled when they were up six. He missed the two free throws. The Celtics win by six. It's a push. And I want it to be a win. I told you the Panthers 
were going to really rebound and really win one for their special teams coordinator, new coach, get rid of Frank, bring in the special teams guy. We're playing the Buccaneers. They stink. They were getting six and a half points. We can win. Guess what? They didn't win, but they did cover. So we won the regular bet, Panthers plus six and a half, and we lost a chance at the huge parlay because we needed the Panthers to win the game and they didn't. So we are 182 and 173. We are not watching Monday Night Football tonight, Jaguars, Bengals. My Super Bowl pick is doomed without Joe Burrow. By the way, the selection committee, Boo Corrigan, which would have you say, here's an idea. Let's cancel the rest of the Bengals season. They don't have their star quarterback, so they're done. And if they win games, they won't be allowed to be in the playoffs anyway. That's funny, isn't it? Well, to me, it is. I'm watching the quarterfinals of the in-season tournament because the winner of tonight's games, they're going to Vegas, baby. That's what's being talked about. Hey, let's go to Vegas. It's the Sacramento Kings and the Zion Williamson-led New Orleans Pelicans playing in the quarterfinal tonight and the Celtics and the Pacers. The Celtics are in Indiana. My pick, though, is the Kings, four and a half over the Pelicans. If you forgot already how good Sacramento is, then you don't remember last year's playoffs. Regardless of how many players you can name on the team, they are a very good team. Sacramento Kings, four and a half over the Pelicans. That is it. Please remember our first story of the day today, which was how the ESPN and CBS and SEC all collude together to make sure that shockingly business is done because they know it's just business. We'll be back tomorrow. This is nothing personal. Thank you.